This morning, we begin a new summer series called From Old to New to You. And throughout the series, we'll be looking at uh, themes from the Bible, themes that begin in the Old Testament, that continue into the New Testament, and then explore what they mean for you today. Because we all know that as we read the Bible, sometimes we read the Old Testament and we have a hard time making the connection to how these things of God that he reveals to us that are for our good, how do they apply to us today? The distance between, of time between the Old Testament and today can make that difficult for us sometimes. Other times we look at the scripture and we see that with the coming of Jesus, God interacts with us in a different way. But how is it different? And what does it mean that Jesus came for this particular way that God interacts with us or for that particular expression of God's character and on down the line? Uh, and we know that things are different, but we might not know how. And so over the next number of weeks, we'll look at what the Bible says about these different aspects of God and how he works in the Old Testament to the New Testament and what it means for you today. And so this series really is a short series in biblical theology. Biblical theology is just a way to express a belief or a theme about God that starts in the Old Testament and is woven throughout the whole Bible and has implication for you today. And there are a number of biblical theological themes to explore. We're going to explore just a handful of them. But when you explore the thread or the storyline or the arc of scripture in this way. You begin to see the texture and the depth and the profundity of who this God is and what it means for him to interact with us. And so today we start in a fairly foundational place. We start on the topic of the promises and the covenants of God. There are literally thousands of promises that God makes in the Bible. And they're harder to count than you might think. Some people estimate that there are as many as 5,000. One person has estimated there's as many as 30,000 promises of God in the Bible. A man named Everett Storms, who's a school teacher in Canada, made a detailed study of the promises of God. He figures that the notion of 30,000 promises is probably too many since there are just over 31,000 verses in the entire Bible. But during his 27th reading through the Bible, a task which took him about a year and a half, he came up with a grand total of 8,810 promises in the Bible. And of those promises, 7,487 of them are promises that are made by God directed to humankind. Almost 7,500 promises. Now, not all of these promises are of equal significance. And yet we know that the ones that provide a framework for us, the promises of God, are called covenants. A covenant is, as one theologian defines it, an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. Here's another way to say it. A covenant is our promises made between God and humanity that defines the way they interact with each other. 
God interacts with humanity through covenants. And covenants include promises from God. They include blessings from God. They include a required response from men and women. And when there is the proper response, there's blessing. And when there's not the proper response, there is consequence. There are many covenants in the Bible. And it would be impossible for us to give a detailed account for all of them in one message. It's certainly impossible to engage in almost the 7,000 promises of God in one message. And so this morning we have a nearly impossible task. I say nearly because I think we just did it in the first hour. We're going to talk about seven covenants and 12 promises in the next 30 minutes. Naturally, we are going to leave a lot of detail on the cutting room floor, but we're going to go fast because there's benefit for you to see the arc of Scripture as God relates to humanity. And as we see these covenants, think of it this way. This is God relating to us in a specific way. That's the arc of Scripture. Covenant number one is called the universal covenant. Underlying the whole story of the Bible and underlying the whole experience of reality for humankind from the beginning until the end is the universal covenant. This covenant simply states that God is the Lord and the King of the earth. God is the Lord and the King of the earth. Psalm 74 verses 12 through 21 says, Yet God, my king, is of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the water. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open the springs and the brooks, and you dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also is the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant for the dark places of the land are full of the habitants, habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Psalm 95 says, The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Isaiah 66.1 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. God has been, currently is, and will be the Lord and the King of all of the earth. This is a promise to you. This is also the baseline for all other types of interaction with God. You are not approaching one who is a peer. You are certainly not approaching one who is less. And if you think that this universal covenant sounds really basic and fundamental in its ways, in some ways it is, and in other ways, all you have to do is to look around the culture around you today. And you say, how many people prop themselves up as their own God? <laughs> How many people look at the lens of the framework of the world through the fact that they are the king 
of their experience. The universal covenant says God has been, is, and will be Lord and King over the universe. But how does God relate to us even more specifically than that? Well, we see that God makes another covenant very early on in the Bible, and he does so with the first humans, Adam and Eve. Remember, God does not relate to humans in a willy-nilly or unstructured sort of way. He relates to them through boundaries, just like we all relate to each other with certain types of frameworks and agreements and boundaries. And the first covenant that God makes with humankind is what we call the covenant of Eden or the Edenic covenant. Some people call it the covenant of works. Some people call it the covenant of Adam or Adamic covenant. This is a covenant, a relationship between God and humanity that is unique because God relates to humans differently than he relates to all the rest of his creatures. Creatures. He doesn't relate to you the way he relates to animals. He doesn't relate to people the way that he relates to plants or to the atmosphere. He relates to humans uniquely. And in this covenant, he gives Adam and Eve blessing and promise and he sets upon them one stipulation. He says in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What a blessing. Be fruitful and have dominion over the earth. A tremendous task, a, a wonderful promise that's attached to that, that when you follow me in faith, these things will indeed happen. And there's just one stipulation. The stipulation is found in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. that says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you do, you shall surely die. Now we know that Adam and Eve were blessed to be the ruling creatures of the earth. They were commissioned in some ways to be the vassal kings of God. They were called to trust God in faith that as he promised to them that they would do these things when they followed in faith, they would also be called to faith to trust that the stipulation of God was actually for their good and not for their ill, but ultimately, even though they were tremendously blessed, they broke the covenant. God upheld his side of this relationship. Adam and Eve did not hold up their side of the relationship. They ate of the tree. Sin entered the world. And the way that humans and gods would interact would necessarily change. But even here at the very beginning, God is gracious. These humans would die, but they would not die for many hundreds of years. They would have children of their own, and then he promises to them that their work would be more difficult in the land, that childbearing would be more painful for them, but even then, God shows his grace because he promises in Genesis 3.15 that Eve's offspring would crush the head of their enemy, Satan, and destroy him forever. Even at the very beginning of how God interacts with people, 
There's a promise for Jesus. And that leads to the story of God and the story of people continuing to move from difficult but gracious to even worse, but still gracious. Because sin spread throughout the human race like a wildfire. And people did what was right in their own eyes and they were wicked in their ways. They turned their back on God. God continued to hold up his side and the humans continued to walk away. And God's wrath was stoked and the world became wicked. And so God decided to flood the earth in judgment. Now, in this judgment, God created a covenant. And he did so with a man named Noah. He says to Noah, I will show you grace if you follow me in faith. And the way that you follow me in faith is by building an ark. I will preserve you and your family. I will save you from judgment. Grace abounded, even in the midst of wickedness and judgment. Humanity was saved through this covenant. God continued to relate to his creatures who had rebelled against him. God promised then to never judge the earth in this way again, by way of flood. And that promise is given a reminder to us every single time that we see a rainbow. That's the Noahic covenant. The next covenant that God makes, the next way that he chooses to express the boundaries of his relationship with people, comes through Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. We see in Genesis 12 through 17, Abraham was an old man with a wife and no children. The covenant that God gives or makes with him is a covenant that sets him apart to bless him and to turn him into a great nation. Like all of the covenants, God blesses, people are called to respond in faith, and that faith results in obedience. That is the call of God in this covenant as well. And in this covenant, it's unique. God takes upon himself not only the opportunity to bless, but he also takes upon himself the requirement of the stipulation. God guarantees to Abraham that I will bless you, and he guarantees to Abraham you will be faithful and meet the criteria of this covenant. That's the way that God enacts this. And notice as I read a little bit from Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, notice all of the I wills that God says to Abraham. Genesis 12, Genesis 12 verses two and three, God says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And again, notice all of the I wills in Genesis 17, 4 through 8. God says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer should your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you 
and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now let's make a couple of observations. Observation number one is that God promises to bless Abraham by making him a great nation, and by blessing Abraham, there is an extension of blessing to all of the people of all of the world. God will relate to people in this way forever. This is an eternal covenant. The promise that God makes has the promise of blessing, but it also has the promise of land attached to it. This is a fulfillment that would not come for another 400 plus years, pointing that only God, no human force or will, would be able to enact this type of blessing. God initiated the blessing with Abraham. Abraham didn't do anything to earn God's favor to be blessed in this way. And like all of the covenants to this point, this covenant is unconditional in one sense and conditional in another. It's unconditional in that God declares what he will do and then he takes the responsibility for his own purposes to bless the nations and do it. God is sovereign and he will do what he will do. It's conditional in the sense that although there is a general blessing to all of the nations, the greatest fulfillment of this blessing is applied to those who put faith in God and trust him, and as a result, they obey. God is gracious, but he also demands obedience from those who are in covenant with him. And lastly, I think it's important to observe that the core statement of this covenant is really a statement that is very simple, but it's quite profound. It's the core, really, of all of the covenants of God. It's the core of your relationship with God today. It's found in Genesis 17, 7. When God says to Abraham, I will be God to you and to your offspring after you. In the universal covenant, God said, I will be God, period. In the Abrahamic covenant, God says, I will be your God. What's the difference? The difference means everything. For God not to be a distant God, but to be God to you, means that the Lord of the earth says he will provide for you. It means that the king of the universe will give just rule. It means that the eternal God will guide and give and show might and strength and he will do so on behalf of those who are his people. This is a declaration that resounds throughout the whole Bible as God interacts with humanity. For those who put their faith in him, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the core of all of the covenants. It's the core of how God relates to anybody who seeks to follow him. 
First we see that God is God, but now God promises to be your God. Especially for those who put their trust in him. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that for those of you who feel like you are one of the teeming millions in the world, and though the world would have you to believe that you do not count, and that you are but a speck in the mass of people. God says, I know you. God promises to be God. He promises to be their God. And that leads to the next covenant. It's the covenant that God makes with his people after a good amount of time of captivity in Egypt and leading them out and saving them through the Passover. He makes a covenant with Moses. God had formed a people for himself through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people of Israel that have become 12 tribes. He's shown grace to them in the midst of their sin. And now he makes another covenant, the Mosaic covenant, to help them to understand who he is and to help them to be faithful to him. At its core, this covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and other places says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God will bless you as you follow him in faith and obedience. The covenant comes through Moses to Israel in the form of the Old Testament law with its Ten Commandments and the sacrificial system that would follow. Through Moses, God would draw near to his people with great majesty and terrifying power as he presents this covenant. Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 18 accounts for this. It says this. It says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and the thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all of the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And we see from there that Moses ascended the mountain to meet God. And when he came down, his countenance was glowing from being in the presence of the Father and he held two stone tablets written by the very finger of God himself, which was a covenant, a way in which God would relate to them from that day forward. God was gracious again. He was gracious to show his people, Israel, his holiness, he was gracious to show their need for him because of their sin. He was gracious to begin to create the environment for a savior. God was also gracious to the nations in this covenant because through this law, the nations would see the manifold wisdom of God on display in this people. And through this law, the holiness of God would be made known in such a way that a clear 
answer to this greatest need would be seen some hundreds of years later in Jesus. God was indeed their God. (laughs) And they were indeed his people. And this covenant was a sign of that. And as time progressed, God would make a new covenant. A covenant that would not create a new way for people to approach God or relate to God. People have always been called to relate to God by faith. But this covenant would be a way in which not just Israel, but all of the people of the world could relate to God by faith in confidence. This new covenant would be a way in which all of the blessings of God would be mediated for people going forward. This new covenant would be a way in which God would not only provide blessing, but eventually provide all of the required stipulations for the covenant to be met. The new covenant is alluded to through one more covenant, the covenant to David, as which God would bless the nations. He makes a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. He says, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. God was making clear that the earthly lineage of Jesus would come through the line of David. And that was important because the next hundreds of years, Israel would continue to be faithful for a season and then rebel and faithful and then rebel and faithful rebel. Does that sound like anybody you know? And when they were rebelling and they were in exile, they had promises to hold on to that a king would come, that his throne would be restored, and that the Lord and king of the universe would again bestow his blessing upon them. God had promised to be God, and he had promised to be their God. And in the midst of all of their wanderings, They held to that promise because of who it came from. And that leads to the final covenant. It's called the new covenant. It's expressed in that God would send God. (laughs) He would send God to dwell with people and he would send God to dwell in people. Jeremiah chapter 31 is the framework for this covenant and we see just a couple verses in verse 31 through 34. Through the prophet, God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new way of relating with you, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and 
I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus would come and he would be the covenant blessing as his coming would accomplish the work of God, would allow us to relate to God with this new confidence. The word would become flesh and dwell among us. The spirit would be sent and dwell within us. In Abraham, the Jewish nation would be defined as God's people. But in Christ, People from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from high to low, could be called God's people. In the Mosaic Covenant, the people would bring animal sacrifices to deal with their sin. In the New Covenant with Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice has been offered and paid for for all of our sin. In the covenant that comes after David, people would draw near to God physically by going to the temple. But now in the new covenant with Jesus, God dwells in his people by the Holy Spirit and he even calls your body a temple of that Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, all of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant are seen not just for the Jews, but for all of the nations. Listen to some of the descriptions of this covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, because it's enacted on better promises. Hebrews 9.15, Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, All of the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. And so when people put their faith in Jesus to forgive them, they're justified based on his perfect standing. No status is needing to be earned for stipulations of this covenant. You can interact with the Lord and the King of the earth because Jesus earned that for you. No obligations need to be met except for the obligation of faith. The following this new covenant, the law of God, which can to some at some point surely feel overbearing or difficult or begrudging in its nature, now is written on your heart in such a way that you want to follow it. You want to please God with your life. You want to experience his goodness. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of all reality. The Lord God has secured a relationship with his people through his son. What's the story of, of humanity? What's the story of God? God secures a relationship with people through his son. Period. In the universal covenant, we see that God promises to be God. 
Lord and King of the world. The covenants to Abraham and Moses, you see, God will be your God, which makes all of the difference. And in the new covenant, you see that God will be your God through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. God has secured a relationship with people and he does it through his son. Friends, God loves people so much that he continues to seek them. Think about just the story of this interaction that we talked about again and again and again. God pursues and people turn away. (laughs) God pursues and they might enjoy faith and blessing for a time, but they turn away. And so God makes another covenant to help them. And for a while, they pursue and then they turn away. But God knows, he loves and he knows that you are at your best when you are with him. He knows that we will never come to him unless he seeks us. Tozer once wrote that God wants us to worship him. He doesn't need us for he couldn't be a self-sufficient God and need anything from anybody. But he wants us. When Adam sinned, it was not he who cried out, God, where are you? (laughs) It was God that cried out to Adam, Adam, where are you? (laughs) And when Israel sinned, it was not Israel that said, God, where are you? It was God that cried out, Israel, where are you? And in your own life, it was not you crying out, God, Where are you? It was God looking into your soul and saying, where are you? That is the story of God and his love for humanity. And it all culminates in the work of his son, Jesus. And all of the blessings and the promises of God are mediated through him for you. All the promises of God find their yes in him. And so I want to close this morning and say, you guys just made it through seven covenants in record time. And I know that there are some of you that are wondering, well, what about the 7,451 other promises of God and how do they apply to my life? This morning I want to close and read for you just 12 promises, no explanation, 12 promises that God makes to you if he is your God and you are his people through Jesus. These promises come to you through the Lord Christ himself and they mean everything for your most fundamental needs in this life and for your most basic desires that you have, the desires you wrestled with last night, (laughs) the desires that you will have when you walk out of here today, at the core of who you are, what you truly and really want, God promises to meet it in these blessings. And so listen, listen and let these promises wash over you as we close. This is the way that God relates to you. God promises to be a refuge for you when you are in trouble. Nahum 1.7 says that the Lord is good, 
a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. God promises to give you favor and honor. It's his to give. He's the king of the earth. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God promises to give you peace. And for some of you, that is really good news today. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. God promises to give you food and provision something that we all want and that we all need. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. God promises to give you abundant blessing. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God promises to give you rest. Some of you are very tired. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God promises to give you life to the full. The best possible life you can have <laughs> comes through God, mediated by Jesus. Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief, being the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God promises that. God promises to make you new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God promises you to make the situations of your life work out for good. Romans 8.28 We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, those who are called according to his purpose. And that is such a great promise when you feel like none of it is working out for good. God promises to give you wisdom. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God promises to make you an heir, an heir of heavenly riches, a co-heir with his son, Jesus. It's hard to even try to get your mind around Romans 8, 16 and 17 that says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him 
in order that we may be also glorified with him. And God promises you to give you joy. John 15, verses nine through 11, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy, the joy of the eternal Son of God may be in you and your joy may be full. Pause and think about it for a minute. Refuge, favor, peace, provision, blessing, rest, the fullest life that you can have, recreation and making you new, good circumstances and difficult seasons of life, wisdom, heirs, and joy. Every desire at its core that you have in this life is met with the promise and the blessing of God. And that is why God says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. The story of God is a story of promise and blessing and response and it points to the truth that God will be your God and he will be that through faith in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for helping us to see the way that you interact with us, for helping us to see the promises and blessings and guidelines and stipulations of a relationship with you. We confess, God, that so many of us uh, view at times that you interact with humanity with little structure or based on your whim. But we see in your word that indeed your purposes are enacted through all of these promises and blessings and responses and we worship you. God, we worship you for the Lord Jesus who we celebrate now in the Lord's Supper. We praise your holy name for blessing us richly in all things through him. And we pray that you would deepen our trust, that that trust would result in increased obedience and that our joy in this life would indeed be made full through him. In his mighty name that we pray, amen. Friends, it has been wonderful to worship God with you today, to hear your singing, your praises to him, to pray together, to hear from his word. If you're here today and you listen to the story of God and humanity and you say to yourself, wow, it sure looks like God is continuing to pursue people throughout every single age and you feel right now and you know in your heart that he's pursuing you. <laughs> and you haven't surrendered to him yet, then don't let another day pass before you can call him your God and he calls you one of his people. And you can do that by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus. If you want to do that today, we would love to talk about that with you and even pray with you this morning. So come forward after the service. There'll be people ready to pray. And as you go, go in faith and trust and pursue obedience to the Lord because he is worthy of it. Jesus makes a number of great promises to us and we find great comfort 
and hope in these good words that I leave you with this morning from John chapter 16. He says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. God bless you as you go.